why are we going to have a ministry celebration? Why do we have different ministries uh, in our church? Why not just come uh, and worship and that be it? Or why not create a church that's really good and kind of known as a parks and recreation church where we just have a lot of fun together and we do a lot of good things and we go tour museums and we go on trips uh, and all of that. Why not just create a church that's like that? Well, we have determined as, and it's really beyond us, it's not the leadership of the church to say this is who we're going to be. It's the mandate of every church, and any church that's not doing it is in disobedience. And so all we want to do is be an obedient church to the call of the leader and the head of the church, Christ, who says this, repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now follow me, Mark chapter 1. And even in the passage that we were looking at in 2 Corinthians, it said that the people gave their gifts to the work of the saints, that they were basically, the time was, there was great poverty for the saints who were back in Israel at the time, especially in Jerusalem. And so Paul was around in the ancient Near East and around the Mediterranean Rim, and he was communicating the need that was happening. And so when he was there and writing, these people who were in incredible poverty themselves said, we want to give. And Paul actually tried to talk them out of it. Now, that's not what modern pastors do, is it? We want to give money. And he says, no, you really, I don't want you to give money. And Paul said, you can't. He said, you're already impoverished. You don't even have enough to make your own ends meet. You're under persecution yourselves. And they basically looked at him and said, we want to give. This is our passion And Paul was amazed. And what he was most amazed about and the sequence with which he went was this. You first gave yourselves fully to Christ. You first gave yourself fully to him. And it's when we fully give ourselves to Christ and become fully who we are in him and see those things developed and matured through the process of discipleship, of following him, of becoming like him, of spiritual formation in our lives, of of God's work, of seeing uh, our hearts changed and then our behaviors following those things, that we then go, oh, if this is who I am, then this is normal actions for me. We've talked and said that you will know a tree by its fruit when we looked and talked about the fruit of the Spirit. He said that you'll know an apple tree how? Because you can detail what kind of leaf it has. When's the best time of year to determine whether it's an apple tree or some other kind of tree? It's in the fall when it's producing its fruit. Because you can look at it and you'll go, what? Even somebody who has no clue can go, that's an apple tree. Or you go down to Florida and you look and you see orange trees. And you go, it's an orange tree. How do you know it's an orange tree? This is simple. This is low shelf stuff, guys. (laughs) Because it has what on it? There you go. And so if we talked last week and said that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, created in him for good works, if you were then recreated and you are now the very righteousness of God, then it comes that naturally you begin to live and do things differently. So for the people there that Paul was talking about, it was natural for them to say, even in our poverty, we're willing to give to the needs of others. Why? Because we know this about our God. He will provide for us. We don't care. We're not worried about it. 
We're not worried about anything because God is on his throne and because he's on his throne and the king has come and we are citizens of his kingdom and we are ambassadors, as we talked about last week, ambassadors of the righteousness of Christ into the world, then we have to live in a particular way. We, we represent him in that particular way and it's not from the outside in. It is a transformation that happens from the inside out. Because we could mess with moral and and behavioral modification. And many churches do that. And families do that. We can manipulate through guilt and through legalism and laws and moralism. And we can say, perform and act in this way. And by acting in that way, we can know you're a Christian. But the problem is, that's what we do so often with our kids. And then they go off to school and they go crazy. Or... A businessman who goes to church regularly when he goes across the country and just goes nuts. Why? Or a woman when she's out on a girls' weekend. She just goes when she doesn't have any external pressure keeping her behavior in line or his behavior in line or the child's behavior in line. It has to then be determined by what is the condition of the heart. Has the heart been radically transformed within us? And then how does it begin to act? Well, what we're going to look at this morning is from Mark chapter 1. It's not printed in your bulletin, and I apologize for that, but I hope you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning. And the gospel of Mark is a gospel that is a gospel of action. Uh, it's a gospel of going uh, and doing. Because, and it's, many people believe that it was Peter who was writing it, and it was Mark who really penned it for him. And so it's the voice, and you can kind of hear the voice of Peter. Uh, throughout it, action words and movements and those kind of things. And he begins the, the gospel by saying, this is the good news. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He starts it right out. He says, this is the good news. Gospel simply means good news. And it was often declared of leaders of that time. This is the gospel of Caesar. This is the gospel of somebody. It is the good news. It is the statement uh, of these leaders. And he's saying, this is the leader that I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about Jesus Christ. And then he said, but let me qualify who he is. He's not just some other rabbi. He's not just some good moral teacher. He's not just anybody. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you can imagine everybody would have perked up and gone, oh, wow. In the presence now of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, how am I supposed to react? How is he going to do? What's he going to say? What's he going to bring to the table? If President Obama came in here today, you guys would perk up. I really could care less about uh, your political uh, leanings because if the office of president walks in here, we're going to, it demands respect and a decorum within his presence of how we speak to him. You're not going to walk up and fist bump him. You're not going to high five him. You're not going to slap him on the tail and go, great job up there with Congress the other day. Really appreciated that. Good luck over there with Syria. No, you're going to look at him and you're going to speak with dignity in his presence because his words and his office carry weight and what mark is saying and what the lord is saying is if we were going to do that for a king or an elected president or a governor or anybody else how much more should we do it for the son of god and so we come now and we're going to ask a few questions uh, about that this morning can you guys hear me okay good i'm going to slip down 
to verse 14. And Jesus picks up and says this. Now after John, that is John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. What we're going to talk about in brief today, in the few minutes we have, is just this, following Christ. What does it look like and what does it mean to follow Christ? And should that be something that you should be concerned about? Because what happens in the church today, and some of the best numbers that you can find, uh, are about 20 to 25 percent of church attenders are involved in something beyond Sunday morning worship services. 20 to 25 percent. But yet we say, we're going to follow Jesus. Well, I learned a valuable lesson Friday. I was playing golf with some friends, and I've never had a golf lesson in my life. And the guys who were playing with me would be able to attest to that, (laughs) because I'm of the mentality that I've read some golf magazines, I've watched some golf on TV, uh, I've listened to a few other guys uh, talk about and give a tip or two here. I play golf maybe six times a year. And I practice, how many times, Matthew, a year? Zero a year. (laughs) But yet, Friday afternoon, I walked out onto this beautiful golf course with every expectation in my mind to show these three guys how good I was at golf. And as they, one by one, boomed the ball out there, two and 200-plus yards, I'd say three, but I don't think anybody got three, but way out there. And I stepped up, and I was ready to go, and I hit my ball. And I said, hold on, guys. And I walked down, and I picked my ball back up, and I, I, I put it back on the tee. And they were like, oh, it's no big deal, McCutcheon. You can do it. Well, after about five or six holes like that, I realized this. I'm a horrible golfer. And part of the reason that I'm a horrible golfer is I've done absolutely nothing to become better at golf, but yet I want to think that I'm a good golfer. Too many people come to church on Sunday morning. And they lift their hands, and they'll bow their heads, and they'll say amen, and they'll dance a little jig, and then they'll go out the rest of the week, and they won't even consider or think about or open God's word or be involved in relationships that would challenge them towards a a deeper and more meaningful walk with Jesus Christ, and they wonder how it is that they keep dribbling off the tee in their life. Well, I want to stand for Jesus, but I keep messing up. Well, I want to do this, but I don't know what to do in this situation. And they come to my office, and they come to other uh, leaders in the church, and they say, I don't know how to be a godly husband. I don't know how to be a godly wife. I want to be a godly businessman. I want to live for Jesus in the school and in the classroom. I, I want to have healthy, godly relationships. And they wonder why they're not getting anywhere. It's because what's essentially happened is most of us want to be like Jesus without following Jesus. We want to have Jesus as our Savior, and we want to get our fire insurance, and we want to make sure we're not going to go to hell, but we really don't want him messing with the rest of our life now. 
Mark is saying very clearly and Christ is saying incredibly clearly in here a few things. And the first thing he's saying uh, is this. It's a declaration. And the declaration that is the motivating factor uh, of all of this comes when he says in verse 15. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why do you think he starts with the end at some level. He starts by saying, the kingdom of God, a new kingdom has been established and it is here now. Why is he saying that? He's basically saying this, guys, in the presence of a king and in his kingdom, your behavior and the manner in which you live and who you are radically changes. And so you need to understand what is taking place in the broader global picture of things and know where all of that is heading because it will be a motivating factor for you of how you currently live now. He didn't say, hey guys, I'm here just to make your life a little more pleasant. He said, I am here to establish a new kingdom. And my kingdom will be absolutely antithetical to every other kingdom that you've ever experienced. It will be different from a Jewish kingdom. It will be different from uh, a Persian kingdom. It is going to be different from a Greek kingdom. And for them, it was incredibly different from a Roman kingdom. And he said, in my kingdom, this is what citizens look like. And this is who the king is. And this is what happens in this incredible relationship uh, that takes place uh, in this kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. How many of us believe and live in light of that? That the kingdom of God is at hand. I fret a lot. I get a little worried. I usually sleep pretty well, but I still fret. And... I have to keep telling myself this in the middle of any day when things are going a little bit crazy or Lisa and I are trying to get used to new norms in our house or the boys are trying to, to, to wrestle through some things. What we try to say to one another and what we say in our homes from time to time and what I try to tell myself is this, God is still on his throne. And if God is still on his throne, if his kingdom is established, then that changes everything. It changes how I approach life. It changes how I think about life. It changes my paradigms. It changes my view of myself. You remember last week? How many of you related well with Punchinello? And the others of you who are visiting are going, what? <laughs> I encourage you, www.hiltonheadpca.com. You can go listen to the sermon the last week. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but we talked about Punchinello, that he was a mess. And we have to remember that if God is on his throne... It doesn't matter if people put stars on me or dots on me. What matters is what the king thinks about me. And I'm not kidding. On Friday afternoon, in the midst of nice fellowship with friends, but a bad game of golf, every time I was going to search for my ball or dedicate my ball to the water hazard or do whatever it was I was doing, I kept having to go, I'm not getting dots. All I could think about was I'm not getting dots. And what I had to keep saying to myself was, Bill, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. How are you going to respond? And the three guys are here uh, today who were playing with me, and I'm not going to tell you who they were because uh, they tell you even more detail. But I wanted to break every club. I wanted to throw the club. I even texted Lisa, and I said, if golf etiquette didn't demand that I finish this round, I would leave right now. <laughs> so I, was, I was beside myself. The kingdom of God is at hand, and it impacts our daily lives. It impacts our daily lives in that way. What are the implications of this arrival of the kingdom of heaven? And the first implication of that is there's a new leader. 
There's a new sovereign. And there is one whom we owe our allegiance to differently. If you move jobs and you change jobs and you have a new CEO or a new boss, you owe your allegiance to that boss. And so you have to learn what that boss expects of you, how he likes the office ordered, how he likes these various and different things. Jesus is saying, I'm the new king. And I've established myself now that my kingdom is at hand. Therefore, what is the natural response then of a citizen of the kingdom? What does the king want? What is it like to be in his presence? What's he like? Is he a mean dictatorial king like we're used to having out of Rome? Uh, Is he one who comes in and does scorched earth? What's this king like? We want to learn about him. We want to learn about the rules and the laws of his kingdom. We want to learn everything there is to know about him. And so a disciple or a citizen of the king and of the kingdom desires then to learn and be about the king's work and to know what he's about. Do you realize that in your life? I'm so glad you do. That you recognize that there's a king. And I'm going to speak to two audiences right now. First audience is the audience who have already made your allegiance to him. Do you know your king well? Are you intimate with him in such a way that you know him and that you know his thoughts even before he thinks them? That you know his character and his heart? Do you know who your king is? And the other question is this, and it's to you who may be searching and you may be questioning Christianity and faith. Do you recognize that there is a king to whom you will have to answer one day? Because there is. All of this that we see around us in the world did not come into place by chance. But there was a sovereign design and a sovereign over it who put it all together for a specific purpose and has a desire for those whom he created in his image to relate back to him. And so you have to ask yourself the question, wow, even if it's just in the realm of possibility, it would behoove you, it would, it would seemingly be wise to learn about this king. And my hope is that as you study this king, you come and fall in love with this king and your heart is transformed and you move from a citizenship that's outside of his kingdom into a citizen of his kingdom by just looking and knowing him and falling in love with him. Why is it that people continue to want to come to our country? Because they look and they say, I want to be a part of that culture. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what's offered there. That's the same reason people would want to come into a Christian kingdom, to say, I want to be a part of that, and I want to be a part of what is offered there. And so the first thing we look at is that uh, there's a new declaration that the kingdom of God uh, is at hand. I'm trying everything in me not to look back at the camera and go. (laughs) I'm so ADD that it's just like, wow, a camera. (laughs) And uh, then I look around and someone was scratching their ear and I was looking going, is there something in my ear? It's amazing. Guys, your movements, my wife used to pick on me. She would sit in the front row and when I would teach and she would go like this. I'd be like, oh. And so... I appreciate what you're doing with the cameras. Uh, Don't get me wrong, but I was uh, getting... Anyway, where were we? Someone bring me back around. There's a king. There we go. There's a king and a kingdom. And the first thing that we need to know, the second thing we need to know about him is this. What are his commands? And the king said this. Jesus the king walked on. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he gives us two statements. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent 
Repent of what? Repent of not believing. Repent of everything that we've been doing in opposition to. Repent of our allegiance to other kings. Repent of the fact that we want to be king. Repent of all of that. Repentance is two parts. Repentance is turning away from one thing, but it is a movement towards another thing. Too many people take repentance as just a turning away. Turn away from that lifestyle. Turn away from that behavior. And it is more than that. It is turning to something that is even deeper and more beautiful and more meaningful that fills the void. It, it is that, that glory that comes in and pushes out everything else. It is the expulsive power of a new desire, as one writer put it. It expels everything else in its presence. And so we turn away from one and we turn to repent and then believe. That we believe what God is saying, that we believe who he is, we believe what's going on, that we follow him in that way. And so let me ask you a simple question. Is that a high priority in your life? If the king has come in his first, by the way, his first statements, they're rather important then. If that's the first thing you're going to say, repent and believe. He was calling us to action in that way. And then what happens is he gives that first command and then his first action within the kingdom after he's been baptized and after he comes, he goes and he gathers followers. He gathers disciples. And it says there uh, in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus said, follow me. He used a, a word that basically meant, come along the same path with me. I want you on the same road with me. I want you accompanying me. I want you to be like me. I want you to look like me. Discipleship is not an offer that we make to God, as uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Discipleship is a command that God makes to us. We don't go and say, hey, I offer to be your disciple, Jesus. I offer to be your disciple, God. It is God demanding and saying of us, follow me. Get on the same road with me. Paul, when he challenged Peter in Galatians, it says that he challenged him because he was walking outside of the line of the gospel, out of accord. He was walking on a different path. And he was saying, Peter, get back on the right road. You're not following Christ in this manner. Your racism and your deeply, deeply held bigotry in this situation is causing others to stumble. Get back in line with Christ. And the only way you can get back in line with Christ is what? That you know what his line is. The only way you can walk on the same road with him is to know what road he's going down. And for all of us who are now in this technology age and we're all driving down the road and they're either sitting, the garments are sitting up on our, our dashboard or we're holding them, scaring the fool out of everybody else around us as we look down and we're trying to find out where we're going. We're looking for road maps and signs. God has given that to us through his word and he said, follow me. I've given you the road. I've given you the road map. And it said of them that they immediately followed him. I'm such a, I, I'm a picture person. And I can just imagine James and John, the son of Zebedee, old Zeb, sitting out there at the boat. Boys, mend the nets. Doing the good, dutiful sons do. They were mending the nets. This guy walks by, says, hey, follow me. Zebedee comes back up from getting a glass of water. Like, Boys, what? 
And there they are, heading down the road with absolute disregard for their dad. And you've got this picture of, you've got Simon and his brother in the same way, Bar-Jonas, sons of Jonas. Jonas walks around, boys, and says they immediately left their dad. They basically understood this. When Jesus comes into the picture and when the king walks by, all allegiances to everything else become secondary allegiances. And your allegiances to Christ becomes primary and is the focal point of all of your attention and you begin to walk and follow him forgetting everything else. Forgetting everything else. We follow him. And it's an immediate response in that way. That doesn't mean in your life that you don't take time and you're not wrestling with it, but there is a sense in which when you see God for who he is and see Christ for who he is, there, it elicits an immediate reaction from us. So I guess the question for us today and for you today is, what's your reaction? Ho-hum? Or later on, some of them said, well, can we go bury our dead or can we go take care of things back home? And Jesus said, if I'm not primary, if I'm not the focal point, then I'm not the king. I reorient everything in your life in that way. Come and follow me. Come and be like me. Come and grow and learn about me and know what it means to live like me. How many of you guys have that down pat? You got it all taken care of? You know exactly how to follow Jesus and you're doing it perfectly. Anybody? I don't either. But what Jesus is asking us is that we now reorient and center our lives to follow him on the path, to go down that road. And there's different ways that people have given you a little acronyms. And one is a path that a disciple is someone who's on a path that is passionate about God, who is available uh, to, uh, to follow him, uh, that who is teachable, and who has a hunger for the things of God. Uh, that's John MacArthur out in California. He uses that one. Other ones that you may have heard are a disciple of God is a fat person. I like to use fatter, F-A-T-R, that you are faithful, that you're available, that you're teachable, and the R is that you're reproducing. Because Jesus finishes and he says here, I'm going to change you and radically change you and you need to be faithful to me. Just as husbands are called to be faithful to their wives, wives faithful to their husbands, children faithful within the context of their family, we are to be faithful to him and walking with integrity in line with him and that we're available. You know what I hear all the time? Boy, I'd like to do that. I just don't have, I just don't have time for that. I'd, I'd sure like to follow Jesus and I'd sure like to grow in my faith, but I'm really busy with, with other things. That's why normally when I invite a guy to be in a discipleship group, I pick 6 o'clock in the morning. You want to know why I pick 6 o'clock in the morning? Very few of you men are doing anything at 6 o'clock in the morning. And you can come up with excuses, but it's hard. So I just try to find a time that we can be available. And then we need to be teachable. Why is it important to be teachable? That seems like a gimme, isn't it? But Jesus is saying, are you willing to submit your knowledge to mine? Are you willing to acknowledge that maybe you don't know everything yet? You ever been around an unteachable person? That's a fun conversation, isn't it? You ever been around somebody? Well, you know, um, it'd be like Friday afternoon with these guys, one who's a scratch golfer, one who's a single handicapped golfer, and one who's a dadgum good golfer for someone who told me he didn't play much, and uh, uh, which I think there's repentance needs to happen somewhere. <laughs> but 
Um, what if the guy who was a scratch golfer said to me, Bill, everything about your swing is wrong. You need to change your feet. You need to change your grip. You need to change everything. I was like, I got it. I, I got this. Just, I, I don't need to hear. I don't need you to tell me anything. Am I teachable? Not at all. But that way, that's the way we are with God so often. No, God, I've got my political set, uh, framework all set up. Uh, I've got my economic framework set up. I've got how I'm supposed to relate to other people set up. I understand how people of different races and cultures are supposed to come together. I got all of that. But if there's anything you think you need to add, just let me know. But I got everything else. I know how to be a good husband. I know how to be a good dad. Uh, I got all of that. We're not, we're not very teachable. Because teachability has to do with humility. And you have to acknowledge one thing. You don't know everything. You don't know everything. I loved the story of an older man who had been married 60-some years. And I said, what's the secret to your marriage? He said, I look in the mirror every single day and I say, you're not that special either. And his wife wasn't standing behind him or beside him. But he looked and he said, there's a lot that you can learn. And you need to humble yourself and learn it today. So we're teachable. And then the final thing that he says there is that we're reproducing. I will make you fishers of men. If you come in contact, and we'll wrap up here, we need to go. If you come in contact with this king and you believe that his kingdom is established and you want to walk on the same road with him and you want your life transformed by him and you're willing to throw yourself into that and to see him do this incredible change in your life, guess what's going to happen? You're also then going to be reaching out to other believers. I am thrilled. And new members do not in any way, shape, or form misinterpret what I'm about to say. I am thrilled that you're coming and you're a part of our church. And if you're coming to our church from another church and you're already a believer, we're excited to have you. But I can't wait for the day when we are going to see our church grow because people are coming to faith through the ministries of our church and through the lives and through your dens and through your backyards and through your relationships with them because what you are doing is you are walking faithfully with your king and you are so representing him that you are then going out and telling other people about him. I sat with, um, with Randy Pope. Randy, are you here? Yeah, Randy's in the back. Randy's the senior pastor at uh, Perimeter Presbyterian Church in, in Atlanta, and we were talking earlier in the week. And he asked me, Bill, how are you doing with your sharing of your faith? Are you reaching out and you're training your congregation and sharing their faith? And everything in me wanted to go, well, here's a reason why I'm not, and here's this, and the people on my cul-de-sac really don't like us because they know we're renting, and, and they're old, and we're young, and, and all of this. But the reality was, I'm no good at it. Well, then even that's an excuse. When the real reality is, I'm not convinced that part of me being a true and faithful follower of Jesus Christ is one who's going to share his faith with people that I come in contact with. And my heart is broken because I believe the reality that if you're not in the kingdom, then you'll be opposed to the kingdom and your eternity is against him forever. And I want to learn how to be a fisher of men. And as your pastor, I want to learn that and I want to communicate that with you and I want to see you grow and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down to Atlanta and be with Randy and his church and learn a little bit more about how to share my faith more effectively and take a few of us uh, down there together and then come back here and do that here so we can begin to train, disciple ourselves, change how we do that, to learn better how to become fishers of men. Any of you know somebody who is not a Christian? Let's try this again. This is raising your hand. Okay. All right. Do you think that God has sovereignly and providentially put those people in your life and put you as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ in their life 
so that you can be his instrument to tell them the good news of the king so that they could come to faith and that they would not be lost but be found by him. Do you have that confidence and belief? Now let me ask you another question. How many of you just are just so good and confident at sharing your faith that it doesn't intimidate you at all? Boy, not me. Paul even prayed, pray that I would have boldness and that God would open doors. And so we need to pray together that we would be bold and that we would see God open doors for us to reach a lost world for the gospel of Jesus Christ and do it in unique ways. So with that in mind, I'm going to invite you after we're done, walk that way. What we have isn't rocket science. It's some small groups for men to gather together around the scripture and to challenge one another to grow in our faith. It's some groups for women to do the same. It's some opportunities for our children to do the same things. It's opportunities for us to reach out and to share throughout the entire world, both locally and foreign. And I see Catherine Jackson. Where's Catherine? I did see Catherine. She just walked over there to share with the kids. Catherine Jackson, one of our members, is heading to Ecuador. This is her last Sunday. She just graduated from Clemson. And she's saying, hey, God said follow. I'm following. I'm heading to Ecuador, and I'm going to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ over in Ecuador. We've got Jeff and Becky Peters. Where are you guys? There you are in the back row. Jeff and Becky Peters said, hey, we've got a good life. We're hanging out here in Hilton Head, and then God got a hold of their heart in a very unique and different way. He said, I want you to follow me, and I'm going to take you down to Haiti. And so they're leaving, hopefully, at the first of the year to go down to Haiti and be down there for a couple of years serving uh, there in a ministry. God can get a hold of your heart. And one person said, a missionary is not one who crosses the sea, but one who sees the cross. Do we see the cross and all that it means? And are we willing to take that cross up every day and die so that others could come and live? I hope that's our church's heartbeat. With that in mind, let's pray and then sing. Father, we praise you today. We thank you that you sent your son into this world, that he came and we beheld his glory, that he came and we walked together with him, uh, that he came and he spoke these incredible words of life. And I pray that you would humble us and convict us and that we would follow him. And there's any here today, God, who, who have not bent the knee to the king, would you bend and bow them now? And would they come into that new life now and follow him, repent and believe? And for all of us, will we get excited about what it means to drop the nets and to follow you and to find a life that we only dreamed was there, a life of fullness and completeness and of safety and of thrill and of passion, a life that's yours. So, Father, we praise you today and we give you glory because you'll never let us go. No, never. Amen. Let's stand.